0: Thanks for joining us on episode 1,176 of the Inspired
1: Stewardship Podcast. I'm Rob Cook. I challenge you to invest in yourself, invest in others, develop your influence, and impact the world by using your time, your talent, and your treasures to live out your calling. Having the ability to focus on what is really important while achieving success is key. And one way to be inspired to do that is to listen to this, the Inspired Stewardship Podcast, with my friend... Scott made one of the principles of success is that you just don't give up you just keep trying no matter how long that takes right there's Ed Milet he's a inspirational speaker for those who may not know him and he's a he's an author he's a, a bunch of different things you can find them all over the place but one of the things he says is the train of success always comes to the station you just have to be there at the station when the train comes
0: welcome and thank you for joining us on the inspired stewardship podcast If you truly desire to become the person who God wants you to be, then you must learn to use your time, your talent, and your treasures for your true calling. In the Inspired Stewardship Podcast, you will learn to invest in yourself, invest in others, and develop your influence so that you can impact the world. In today's interview with Rob Cook, I asked Rob about why he became a financial advisor. I also asked Rob to share why his faith journey has intersected with both his job and his podcast, Contenders Wanted. And Rob also shares with you how his failures and mistakes have led us to where he is today. One reason I like to bring you great interviews like the one you're going to hear today is because of the power in learning from others. Another great way to learn from others is through reading books. But if you're like most people today, you find it hard to find the time to sit down and read. And that's why today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Go to inspiredstewardship.com slash audible to sign up and you can get a 30-day free trial. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from. And instead of reading, you can listen your way to learn from some of the greatest minds out there. That's inspiredstewardship.com slash audible to get your free trial and listen to great books the same way you're listening to this podcast. Rob is a CPA and CFP fiduciary financial advisor who looks and plans beyond stocks and bonds and traditional financial planning with his clients. Rob believes that when thinking and talking about wealth, the conversation shouldn't be focused on money, but instead on the purpose for our money. In other words, the legacies we are creating today for our families. Rob is also the host of Contenders Wanted podcast, where we believe you can have incredible success without sacrificing what's most important. Through the podcast, he leverages his personal experience and interactions with the ultra successful to help success-oriented parents with young families get more time, balance, and financial freedom in their lives so they can move from being a contender to a champion. Welcome to the show, Rob.
1: Thanks, Scott. Appreciate you having me on the show.
0: Absolutely. It's great to have you here. And let's start with this. We just talked about in the intro how you're a financial advisor, CPA, CFP, all of the alphabet soup of letters that that works around that stuff. Can you talk a little bit about your journey and what brought you to becoming a financial advisor?
1: I'll admit it has been a bit of a roundabout journey. I am, I'm the kind of person that as a kid, I really wanted to know what I was going to do with my life. was always forward thinking. I was always trying to plan out my future and in high school, I had thought about it a ton. Ironically, I was one of those kind of old soul kids and I realized, okay, there were three or four things that I knew I wanted out of my career. I wanted number one, I wanted to do something that was fulfilling. That every day was making a difference in someone's life. Number two, I wanted to do something where I made good enough income that if my wife didn't want to have to work, she wasn't going to have to. I had grown up in a home where my dad worked hard so that my mom could stay home. And it was a huge blessing to us kids. And I wanted my wife to be able to do the same if she wanted. She didn't have to, but if she wanted that. The third thing was I wanted to be able to possibly own my own business in some way. Just because I... My, I grew up in a home where my grandfather was an entrepreneur. There was a lot of entrepreneurial spirit throughout my family, and it inspired me. I wanted that in my life as well. And then the fourth thing was I wanted the flexibility of my time to be able to serve in my church and in other organizations that I was passionate about. For me, uh, work was never going to be the end-all be-all. There was life to be lived outside of work. And uh, my faith played an integral part of my life as a childhood, in my childhood. And I thought, okay, it will as an adult. And so I want that flexibility to be able to do that. And so that was really my four criteria. And that could go a lot of different directions. And the, the short version of how I got to a financial advisor is in high school, I randomly got stuck accidentally in the dentist's career day class. And I thought to myself at that point, wow, that totally fits the criteria. I'm going to be a dentist. And I pursued that path for eight years basically. I went to school. I was majoring I was majoring in business so I could better run my practice. And I was minoring in chemistry and I was in an endocrinology lab and I was job shadowing dentists and doing all this stuff. And then I almost fell asleep standing while job shadowing a dentist one day. <laughs> and all of a sudden I was like, maybe this isn't the right path for me. So I, luckily for me, I was majoring in accounting, which was one of the, uh, I, I went to Brigham Young University and they have one of the top accounting programs in the country. Because for those who know me, know that I'm the kind of personality where it's like I'm an all go kind of guy. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it 100%. And so when I was going to major in business, I was like, well, I'm going to major in accounting because I have an aptitude for it and it's the best program here at the school. Why would I go with any other program? And so luckily, I was in the accounting program while I was straddling this other path of going down this dental, dentistry route. And so when I dropped dentistry, I just continued down the accounting path, thinking, hey, this is a good path. I'm going to figure it out. There's a lot of different things that I can do with accounting. And that's true. So I, I did an internship at a, a big four uh, accounting firm, Big the big four being Ernst & Young, PwC, KPMG, Deloitte & Touche. So I went to EY in the Bay Area here in California and got a job offer. But I knew in my heart of hearts that I did not want to be an accountant. It's just – I was an auditor, actually. And I like to jokingly say, everyone, no one wants to be an auditor. Everyone who is an auditor also doesn't really want to be an auditor. That's just a a job for them in the meantime. And so it led me down this secondary path of then trying to figure out, what am I going to do? I have my four criteria still. How am I going to get there? And my very last semester, or actually my senior year of my master's degree in accounting, I went to a networking event and met a gentleman by the name of Michael Phelps, actually. But uh, not Michael Phelps, the swimmer. He was Michael <laughs> Phelps, the financial advisor based out of Southern California. And it just hit me right there that, oh my gosh, a lot of things had clicked. I had always loved personal finance. I had always loved investing. So I had always talked about finance with my grandfather. We used to, I used to work with him in the summers, and he was the first person to really talk to me about money and finance in a way that. I was a 16-year-old kid, but it was almost like I was part of the adult conversations. And so since that time, I had always really enjoyed money and finance. And I realized I could take what was a hobby and passion of mine and really just turn it into a career. And that career, I could make enough money. My wife didn't have to work. I could do something meaningful and help people every day. I could, in a way, own my own business. I could fulfill all my four criteria, basically. And so I decided to pursue wealth management. That t- that was a three and a half year journey trying to get out of accounting and get into wealth management. I and mean, we could talk about that story later in terms of the lessons learned in that whole journey. But that's the short version of how I got from where I was as a kid through to be finally becoming a financial advisor. A roundabout way, dentistry to financial advising, dentistry, accounting, and then finally becoming a financial advisor. <laughs>
0: And the dentistry started as funny, but but at the same time, it makes sense. So a- as part of that, can you expand a little bit? You, know, you, you said you were very forward-looking as a kid. You always wanted to know what you were going to do. And we talk a lot on the show about calling and about you know, what does it mean to have a calling and how do we recognize a calling? How do you think this journey fits in with your path towards figuring out what are you going to be when you grow up, so to speak, for someone else that's maybe hearing this and saying, well, I've been struggling with this thought myself.
1: Honestly, I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> I would say, uh, I honestly look at my career and I look at, and you talk about this idea of calling. Mm-hmm. When I think of calling, I my thoughts immediately turn to my faith. Okay. Because I tell people that if you don't know at least a little bit about my faith, you can't possibly know me because it's so interconnected and woven into the fabric of my life. And for me, calling means that it, it's not mine. It's, it is given to me from God in a way. That's how I interpret calling. Others might, maybe it's the universe. Maybe it's just their great passion or whatever. But for me, I view myself as a soldier in the army of God. I get my orders from him and I go and do. And so I'll admit, I don't feel like I I know what my calling is. I consider myself a pretty ordinary guy. I don't have any particular passion or hobby that's just like, for example, I think of Russell Brunson. That guy was born to do marketing and funnels. That's just, that's what it seems like. The guy's, Tony Robbins, the guy seems to be born to do personal development stuff and be a speaker. Or Tom Brady, born to play football. There's just certain things, certain people are so, they have that calling and it's so clear for everyone to see. But I think for the vast majority of us, it's not super clear. And so for me to discover what was some version of my calling, some version of where I should go, it was both a combination of what do I want and what does the Lord want from me? Because there were multiple paths, multiple things that happened along that journey from dentistry into wealth management, where I had my four criteria, but I had to be willing to say, all right, Lord, what would thou have me do? Where's, what's the best direction for us to go here? And I say us because I was married. I got married my, the summer before my last year in college. So it was me and my wife through a, a good chunk of this transitional journey. And so I think that, that willingness to say, okay, hey, here's what I think I want but always being willing to step aside and let the Lord's plan and His timing and His direction take precedence, I think is, has been the key for me to be able to find success and joy and happiness in my own career. So
0: that kind of brings us to, you have the Contenders Wanted podcast, and mm-hmm. you describe that as talking to folks about how you can have success without sacrificing what's most important. How does that idea play out in your own life and your faith and this journey that
1: that you went on? oh wow it it's played in a lot of different areas. I think that to answer the first question, how has it played out in my own life? Uh, I think the simplest way is to actually harken back to that my grandpa that i I referenced earlier. I feel like th- this idea of Meaningful success without sacrificing what's most important is something that I observed even from a very young age as a kid. My grandfather, he was the man. His, we called him Papa. His dad was a first-generation American immigrant from... And they're actually... The long story of the fam- of the families, they're actually German immigrants to Ukraine then Ukraine here to the United States. So they're actually German. But Southern Russia at the time. And uh, his dad died... When my grandpa was, I think he was like 12 or 13, and he quickly became the man of the house. My, my great grandma, back in those days, we're talking the 40s, 50s, uh, there wasn't a lot for her to go do to earn a lot of money. So he started, he became the man of the family and he started working. He went in the military before he was of age, sent basically every dime that he made back to his mom and his little sister and took care of them and worked really hard. And to make the really long story short is he winds up marrying my grandma when they're both young. They have four kids really fast. And he worked hard. He was a salesman. He was successful at that. Then wound up starting his own business and grew that business and created a life for our family. And in the meantime, took care of his mom and took helped take care of his sister for a little while until she got up and really going with her own family. And all along the way, as a kid, I watched as my grandfather worked hard to build this business and pass it off then to his kids. He purposely did things in our lives because our family was most important to him. Like, for example, he built a cabin one time. Not one time. He built a cabin a couple times, actually, for the family. Nothing crazy, but it was a little cabin up here in the mountains. We live at the foot of the Sierra Nevadas here in California. And it was our place where we always gathered as a family. and. On weekends, grandpa, or during the summer times, grandpa would have us come and we would work with him during the summer. And we would talk about the stories of hard work. Grandpa always had a saying, Lord helps those who help themselves, Rob. We've since then, Lord helps those who help themselves, but he'll help you a heck of a lot more than you can help yourself. Different things. But this idea of meaningful success without sacrificing what's most important came from him because through his example and through his stories and through... The values that he passed on, and he and my grandma passed on to the rest of the family, it was your family is your faith and your family are most important, and no matter what, uh, it doesn't matter what money we make, doesn't matter what success we have, it's all about you guys, and it's about taking care of people, it's about doing what's right, period. And that was just distilled, I think, for me as a kid, and I didn't even really, I didn't have words to articulate that for years, and it wasn't until I really became an adult and I had my own career and my own family and I started to look around and I go. Wait a second. I've always seen this one model. And it's a really good model to my life. Why does why are so many people not doing that? What's wrong? What's the disconnect here? What's different? I think I really started to tune into this when I was in public accounting and you know people would I was one of the few people that was married on my team, at least in, in my initial teams, and I People, I couldn't understand why I would create boundaries and I would specify, okay, I'm not going to work during these times because my family is most important. No matter what you guys need and want, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to give you everything I got during the times that I'm on and I'm going to get my projects done. But during these specified times, that's family time, period. Or this is Sunday. I'm going to do everything in my power not to have to work on Sunday. I'll I'll kill myself and work late hours of the night, Monday through Saturday, but Sunday, that's family time. And they literally could not understand. And they would... Be like, you're going to lose out on opportunities. Or you, you're frustrating me because you're not doing what I want you to do. Hey, I got to have some boundaries. These things are actually what's important. No offense, this job doesn't mean anything. It's going to be a footnote in my life, period. But that mentality just wasn't there. And so when, as I started to see those things, it made me realize that there is a better way. And there are some people out there who live that way. And I feel like more people need to see that. So that kind of
0: brings us to the thought that I think a lot of folks see the model of the path to success, the path to financial freedom, the path to what they want is made through making those sacrifices, sacrificing family time, sacrificing sleep, sacrificing (laughs) health, (laughs) whatever. You know, to get how do you think, as you've observed it, how do you think that model? isn't really the only one or the right one or the best one or however however you want to phrase
1: that i'd honestly just say that that view and that opinion is just a limiting belief in your own mind (laughs) really uh, let's take the example of the four minute mile right before roger banister ran the four minute mile the sub four minute mile everyone thought it was humanly impossible there was no way that the human body could run that fast You know what's funny? Now, the world record mile time is 3 minutes and 43 seconds. Just shattered in the world of track, the 4-minute mile. Abolished it. As soon as all of a sudden people broke through it, all of a sudden anyone could break through it. It was like, as soon as Roger Bannister did it, the next year it was broken again, and in succeeding years, every so often it's broken now. Because, oh yeah, we can do that. We understand. (laughs) It's possible. It was just a limiting belief. And I think... We have a lot of those in our lives, and I think this is one of them. I believe you can have, and I know that you can have meaningful success. You can have financial freedom. You can have the things that you really want in life. It might take you maybe a little bit longer. It might be a different way than you anticipated, but you can find a way if that actually is important to you to keep those things in balance. It's like uh, I was listening to – I'm a podcaster, but I love podcasts. I listen to a bunch of different podcasts. And I was listening to one recently, and the host was talking about the difference between something being important versus it being a priority or being interested in something being a priority. There's a spectrum. Maybe you could say interest, important, priority. If it's a priority, you're going to make it happen. Let's say let's say your kid was going to die, and you had to figure out how to make $5,000 to cover some sort of payment. So they could get some medicine so they could live. You'd find a way to make the $5,000 because it's more—it's a priority for you for your kid to live. If it's a priority for you to have balance, if it's a priority for you, if your family is your priority, if your faith is your priority, you will find a way. Period. In my opinion. Even if that means you go a little slower. Even if that means you might have some uncomfortable conversations at work. Even if that means that you make sacrifices in other ways. Mm -hmm. For example, right now, it's 6.30 in the morning where I'm at. But I'm doing this call right now because it's more important that I spend my time with my family on Saturday. Okay, I sacrificed maybe a couple hours of sleep that I could have gotten. But it's more important that I put them first. So that's why I do this now. So at the end of the day, when people say, oh, you can't do that, you got to be able to hustle and grind, you have to be able to do all these things that people are, what some people call hustle porn, I think that's just a limiting belief. It's in your head. Once you decide that it's actually most important, and you really do, it's you're just not just interested in that, right? I, you give it lip service, but you really make it a priority, you'll find a way.
0: So what have some of your own personal struggles and failures taught
1: you about this idea of success? I think that, honestly, understanding success in general, I think that th- there are universal principles, and then it's just how you apply the rest of life to them, period, right? So, for example, one of the principles of success is that you just don't give up. You just keep trying, no matter how long that takes, right? The, the Ed Milet, he's a uh, inspirational speaker for those who might not know him, and he's a He's an author. He's a, a bunch of different things. You can find them all over the place. But one of the things he says is the, the train of success always comes to the station. <laughs> you just have to be there at the station when the train comes. It might take a while. My train might be late, but it's going to come. And I found that that's definitely true in my own life. As I, I, I persevere through difficulties and setbacks, you find success. So, for, for example, let's take my career journey since this is where the conversation started today. When I decided to transition out of public accounting into wealth management, that was a three and a half year process. In part because I was in public accounting, I was in audit, which is a completely unrelated field. And I had taken a couple classes in school, but I was that to move from audit and public accounting into wealth management, that was hanging a 90 degree as my path is already going this one direction. And so it was a multi step process. I had to, I went and got the first level of the Chartered Financial Analyst, CFA designation. I transferred after the first year or so at EY. I got my CPA license. Then I also transferred out of audit into tax, kind of getting a little bit closer. And then about another year and a half or so after that, I almost two years, I. Left tax and then finally got into wealth management. But all along the way, I was filling out job resumes. I was exploring options. I was interviewing people in the wealth management space. I was actively trying to move faster, but it just wasn't happening. In fact, for the first almost year and a half, two years, nothing happened other than me just putting in a ton of work. I was working. Sixty-plus hour weeks in public accounting, but then also studying to get my CPA. And then after I finished my CPA, also I then started studying for my CFA. And then once I got the first level of the CFA, then I started. I just I would wake up early in the morning, or I would do it late at night. I had to make sacrifices and I'd try and balance those things with my family. And I was married. My wife, we didn't have our little girl yet, but we we were married, and so I had to make sure that she felt loved and knew she got the time that she needed. And it was uh, it, there was no progress made. It felt like <laughs> for the first two years. And then the next year and a half or so, you know, I got in, I got into tax. Okay, cool. At least I'm moving in the right direction. But then once again, nothing happened for a while. And my wife used to jokingly ask me sometimes during the non-busy seasons, how many resumes did you submit today, Rob? (laughs) Because I wanted to get out of public accounting. I wanted to get into wealth management. So I'd submit resumes to all the big banks uh, and I was talking to different people and I was doing all this stuff during my like lunch hours and in between things trying to make the most of my time mm-hmm. and I even had a couple instances where one instance in particular where I, I got a job offer to do something that seemed really great only to pray about it that night and get, get a pretty clear oh man what the heck <laughs> I've been putting in years of work trying to transition and move here and it feels like this is never going to happen and then a couple months later this wonderful opportunity that at the firm that I currently work at which wound up being perfect for me, comes my way. So I would say the success, one of the most important principles of success, in my opinion, is that you just don't stop. You got to just keep going. And then number two is that you involve the Lord, and the Lord was involved in the whole process with me. Like I said earlier, the Lord helps those who help themselves. That's right. That's what grandpa used to say. But the Lord will help you more than you help yourself. I've always found that if I keep working and, and striving, the Lord will make of me and my path and my journey far more than I would have originally thought. Like the job opportunity that I got finally to get into wealth management, the best possible position to be in that I could have imagined. But was the, were there some details that may not have been exactly the way that I thought it should be? For sure. Was the path to get there exactly the path that I had hoped for? Of course not. (laughs) But it wound up being so much better for me in the long run. Do you think that's part of what lets you
0: persevere is that faith, that belief that, wait a minute, this is going to work out in a way that's better than I think? Or did you struggle with that during that journey?
1: Oh, I definitely struggled with it. (laughs) 100%. (laughs) There were many nights where I hit my knees and said, Lord, I feel like I have good desires here. I feel like I'm trying to do what you want. Anytime I feel prompted or pushed in a certain direction, I'm trying to go that way. I'm trying to do those things that you're telling me to do. Why is this taking long? Because it's easy to look back in hindsight and go, you know, it was a few years. But a thousand days is a long time. And so, yeah, no, I definitely struggled with that. I think it was my faith that it would work out, faith in general, that it would work out is what kept me going. And it was the confidence of my wife in me that enabled us to keep pushing. Because it was difficult. Like, for example, that one job opportunity that we had turned down, I was, because of my kind of attempts to move sideways through my career, I had always, I had been a high performer at my accounting firm, but because I had moved locations and then I moved job functions and various different things, they wound up basically never giving me a raise for Mm. the first three and a half years of my career. Just because, oh, you're moving to an area where the cost of living is lower. Therefore, we're going to just keep your salary the same. You're fine. Oh, you're going into a different branch of where we work. You can't be promoted to that next step like you normally would if you'd stayed in audit. So therefore, we're going to just keep your pay the same because you can't be getting paid more than those that are at your level. And so my wife patiently endured us living in the Bay Area and me not getting any raises basically for the first three years of our career. And this job offer that we got was going to be twice as much. I was going to be paid more than twice what I was being currently paid at Ernst & Young but then we both felt prompted that we had to turn it down. Oh, goodness gracious. You got to be kidding me. And then when I got into wealth management, that first job, the job that I took in wealth management, the, the job that I'm at now that I love, it was actually a step back in pay, <laughs> but we both felt like it was right. Like the Lord was telling us to go with it, even if it financially looked like, oh, punch to the gut. So yeah, it's never easy. And along the way, some of the details can really hurt but At the end of the day, when you look back with hindsight, that it was always a lot better than you could have made it.
0: And I think that's part of why I want to ask you that is, I think a lot of times earlier you referenced people like Russell Bronson and some of those folks, Tony Robbins and others. I think a lot of times we see people at the end of a journey and we go, oh, look, they've always known what they were going to do. They've always Mm -hmm. been successful. They've always been, but we don't see, that's not where Tony Robbins started. That's (laughs) very true. You go read or, or listen to him speak about his early life. Very different place. Very yeah. true. And I think it's important that we remember that it's the it's a journey. It's not where we see people at the end of the journey or in the middle or at the beginning. Or just farther along. Or just further along. It's never the same. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You can follow Rob on LinkedIn as Rob Cook or find him over on Facebook as Rob Cook. The best place, though, to find out more about Rob or his podcast is over at his website, contenderswanted.com. Of course, I'll have links to all of this in the show notes as well. Rob, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listener?
1: Yeah. For those of you who would be interested, I actually have a, I call it the financial freedom pathfinder quiz because I'm trying to help more people on that financial side through Contenders Wanted. If you've ever Wanted to know, you know what path should I take to reach financial freedom? What's the, the best path suited for me and my personal desires and predispositions and all that sort of stuff? I've taken 10 plus years of personal finance and wealth, learning about wealth and wealth creation and talking with people on my show and different things and created a quiz that helps people figure out which of one of the 25, I think, are the 25 unique paths towards financial freedom is best suited personally to them. So if anyone's interested in that, you can check that out by going to contenderswanted.com slash freedom. You can fill out the quiz and get that for free. And there's also a couple of bonuses that come along with it just for completing the quiz. Awesome. That
0: is a That sounds like a great gift. I'll link that up in the show notes as well so folks can find it easier if they're driving or otherwise can't find it. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate everything that you've shared.
1: Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. As a subscriber and listener, we challenge you to not just sit back and passively listen, but act on what you've heard and find a way to live your calling. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor. Go over to inspiredstewardship.com slash iTunes rate, all one word, iTunes rate.